Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. You are listening to Rum Buncher Radio, episode 12. Trey Yannity, Nick Caparoso, Marty Lee with you. We are joined again by staff writer Noah Wright. Gentlemen, we are now two series into this 2020 Major League Baseball season. To be honest with you, for the Pirates, I, I expected uh, uh, the, the, the status of the team to be where it is at this point two series in, but a couple of crazy games against Milwaukee we got to discuss tonight and some other things. But let's start with baseball as a whole. It's starting to become more normal. The cardboard cutouts, the fake audio, everything is starting to, to become a little bit more natural league-wide. But right when we get into it, the Miami Marlins, positive testing left and right. This team is in a, is in a crazy spot. Guys, how are you feeling after, after the first six here? And what do you think is going to happen to baseball as a whole as we get into this 2020 season? I'm just holding my breath that... Uh... We'll keep playing. I don't know what's going to happen with Miami. They have a, they tested another guy tested positive this morning. It's up to 17 now, right? Man. Yeah, at least 17, I know. And that's guys who, like it's confirmed, that doesn't include guys who were around them, may not have results back, or guys who potentially have symptoms or whatever. So at least 17 confirmed. So you got to think it might be even more than that when you get down to the actual raw numbers. Mm. And it's, uh, you know, you can only hope that things get better, but – Assuming that they don't, Miami might not have themselves a, a season. If that were the case, what does Major League Baseball do? Do, you, do they automatically get rewarded with that number one pick? What happens to the schedules? Where do we go if, if we have a team like this that can't take the field? That's an interesting question. You know, it's something I've been thinking about being a big draft guy. Because uh, even if the Marlins are able to come back and play in some fashion, you know, it's going to be a very um below league average team they should not be rewarded for this i you know it's coming out that you know they might have uh gone out when they weren't supposed to and it sounded like the front office might have known about some stuff and not only you know are they affecting their own season but you know they've affected other team seasons too so really it, you know, it's weird to say they should be punished for it, but I, I'm on board with the idea that they sh- they should not be given a first round pick next year, or, or if they are, at least at the back end of the first round, because they this, I mean, you know, there was one thing that they had to do, and the organization completely failed on it. Now you're talking about Trey with the way. What are we gonna do with the schedules and stuff? I know that MLB and the Players Association recently agreed on double headers which they said are going to start yeah. on august 1st mm-hmm. yep seven innings is uh you know it's interesting and it's it's crazy to see 
just how different this season is as a whole with the new rules. But what do you guys think about that? Is seven innings really going to make a difference? Say, I don't hate it. Um, especially when you're looking at a season like this, where you may have multiple double headers. Now, I mean, as a fan, there are very few things I enjoy more than when the Pirates play a double header and heading down to PNC Park for both of them and just enjoying 18 innings of baseball that day. Obviously, that's not something that can happen this year. And with everything going on, I don't hate the idea of playing seven inning games and double headers this year. But I don't know. Like, it's just so strange to me with everything going on and like everything with the Marlins causing this mess. And Nick, like you said, the other teams affected it branches out to the Phillies. They shut things down until further notice today. So I. I know originally they were scheduled to play a doubleheader on Saturday. I don't know if that's still going to happen or not. But I I understand where they're coming from with the seven-inning doubleheaders this year. I don't totally hate it, but at the same time, I would rather see nine innings played. But, again, when there's a global pandemic going on, all of that kind of goes out the window. Yeah, it's the whole, you know, some baseball is better than no baseball, I guess. You just got to accommodate for what's happening in the world. What's crazy to me also is just kind of see how the the rules are being made up as we go too. It's going to be interesting to see, you know, by the end of this season, wh- whenever that may be, how the game, you know, looks versus how it started this year. And isn't that just so crazy that it almost feels like every day we wake up and there's a new rule or they're doing something different. They're expecting something um, else, right? Yeah. yeah, I think what's craziest to me is it almost. And maybe with Rob Manfred, this shouldn't be a surprise because I think Rob Manfred is just by far and away the worst commissioner in sports. And I never thought anyone could be worse than Gary Bettman and then Roger Goodell came along. I never thought anyone could be worse than Roger Goodell and now we have Rob Manfred. But it's almost if baseball really didn't have a plan coming into this of like, what are we going to do when the inevitable happens and we have a team that is experiencing what the Marlins are experiencing right now and the fact that it seems like they had no plan whatsoever leads me to believe that, like, moving forward, they're just going to kind of continue to wing it with the rules and make it up as they go, and whatever happens, happens, you know? Yeah, it kind of seems that they weren't prepared, like you said. I mean, they had to have – they needed to have some sort of plan in place because we all knew that at some point this was going to happen, that there was going to be a team or a lot – just a bunch of players in general that just started to test positive and – it doesn't seem like they were really prepared for it. Well, and what's so weird too is that, you know, we've heard so much about the health and safety protocols being great and how effective they've been and how everybody's a fan of it. But it's almost, you know, they, they got all that figured out, but they really didn't consider, well, what happens next? Um, and it's, it's affecting the league big time. You know, what it comes down to for me is the, the players, um, you know, Bob Nightingale reported the other day that, the Marlins outbreak might have started because Miami players left their hotel to go out in Atlanta. Um, you know, the, the season has started and I understand that this is a, this is different and everyone's learning how, how to handle this whole situation. But the first thing you do right when the season starts is you go out after being told, you know, not to do that, you know, I mean, it's part of these players need to just 
take some responsibility for 60 games and just hold it together and stay in and get through this too. It can't just be on what the league needs to do when X or Y happens. You know, the players are a big part in, you know, making sure X and Y don't happen. It really comes down to the players and the players alone. And it's sad because everybody's projecting Miami to finish in fifth place in their division. They go up to Philly and take two out of three right out of the gate. The Pirates were not as fortunate traveling to St. Louis, losing two out of three there. Coming home, the last episode, we we covered game one of the home opening series against the Milwaukee Brewers. Marty, we were uh, we were a little upset that night. Um, you know, I, I want to give an apology to Derek Shelton a little bit here. He cleaned it up and uh, and and turned it around for Tuesday. What a game we had in, in game number two of the series. Yeah, games number one and number two of that series were probably two of the crazier games you're going to see the team play all season. Um, it really is unfortunate they should have won that series. Monday night they completely gave that game away with the bullpen melting down in the ninth inning and then in extra innings. And then Tuesday night, you know, that, that seventh inning might be as crazy an inning you're going to see all year. Top of the seventh inning, the Pirates let, what, I think the first six guys reach base, something like that. And Milwaukee scores four runs, and in the bottom half of the inning, the Pirates come back and put up a four spot of their own. So it's it's was a wild series, and it's again probably one of the wilder series you're going to see all year. But yeah, oh, excuse me. The big the big thing for me is just really is unfortunate because they that is a series the Pirates should have won, and they should be sitting at three and three right now. There's a there's a lot of moments in that very first game that I just was so upset by and it started to look like that second game was about to go the same way the first one did and luckily they turned it around and I and a lot of the players really stepped up in that seventh inning like you said that we got a lot of runners on base and we just scored we scored four in the seventh and then two more to take it to get the win in the eighth and in dramatic fashion too how about it down six to two like you said Noah Coming back, some errors helping the Pirates tie the ball game there. Adam Frazier, go ahead, two-run bomb into the short porch in right field. The Pirates would go on to win 8-6. to six. How about Nick Birdie? This guy has, has absolutely comes back and, like you said, dominates. I, I think we're going to be seeing a whole lot of this, you know, when the Pirates give him the opportunity. But I think when he's on the mound, there's really no doubt that, that – the Pirates are confident in, in what they got. Yeah, but I think you, you hit it on the head there that it's when he's on the mound. You know, I know a lot of people are upset that Shelton and get a birdie there in that game one. Or just in general why he went to, you know, the relievers he did go to. And what we have to remember, you know, this is this was the fourth game of the year. Derek Shelton's first year managing the team. He's still looking at what he has. He's still figuring out what pieces he's has in the bullpen who he's going to use in what situation you know it's not gonna all come together and change overnight but also then we find out that they're not necessarily looking to use at least early in the season birdie on back-to-back nights which makes sense with his injury past but when he's out there you know he's the he's by far the best thing they have coming out of that bullpen right now birdie's so far been really fun to watch especially after the the game, the game in uh, St. Louis, where he just he fired eleven pitches, only two were balls, and he struck out two really hard guys to strike out in Wong. I think it was Edmund or it was, it was Edmund, Edmund or Carpenter. Edmund, Goldschmidt, Carpenter. He got all three of them. 
Uh, that was it was that was very very fun to watch. Yeah, and to, to circle back to Monday night, um, anyone who listened to the podcast that Trey and I recorded after that game when I was just on about a level ten, unirritated, and I will say that looking back on it, one thing I complained up and down about was them not going to Clay Holmes in the ninth or the tenth. But as we came to find out, Clay Holmes was unhealthy, so he was placed on the disabled list the following day. But um. No, I, I understand why they don't want to use Birdie back-to-back days right now with his injury past, but I don't know. I just – even Tuesday night in the seventh inning there, yes, Chris Stratton walked the first two batters, but Stratton was off to a good start this year. Stratton overall pitched well with the Pirates last year. I probably would have stuck with him, and if I was going to pull him, I most certainly would not have gone to Miguel Del Pozo there. But, you know, it is what it is. Like Nick said, Sheldon's trying to learn what he has in his bullpen, trying to learn who he can count on and who he can't. And that's going to be a roller coaster ride for the fans. It's going to be frustrating for the fans. But it's his first year as manager. The Pirates are in a rebuilding year. That's the kind of things we are going to see this year, and we just got to kind of learn to live with it. Well, and at least there was reasoning behind, you know, the decisions. And Monday night, right after the game, we didn't necessarily have answers, but as, as time went on, we kind of, you know, heard, all right, well, Birdie threw 11 pitches. They thought that was too much to send him back out the next night. Um, and, you know, and I feel like that's that's all we're going to get from this group. You know, we talked about it with Michael McHenry a couple weeks ago. It's just been so much more open. Every, everything's been so much more, um, I, I guess, team-oriented, and, and the players are fully in the loop, as well as the fans now, too. Jeff Hartley woke up in Altoona on Tuesday morning, not knowing he was even going to play in a Major League Baseball game. He ends up getting the win for the Pirates. How about yeah, it? Like, yes. Right? And, and Noah, I know you are like the driver of the Jeff Hartley <laughs> bandwagon. So I'm going to go ahead and let you take this one, man. Jeff Hartley, I've, you know, I just, I, he had that really bad last, he wasn't that good last year, but everyone just keeps overlooking him. And when you look at like his stuff, he has really good pitches. He has a great changeup, great fastball. I mean, he just looks like, he has this stuff that I think he could be a really good reliever. And, and uh, the second it was it was the second game where it just seemed like he was working really good, and he got some help from his defense with the Reynolds from that strike from left field. But you know, still he looked pretty good out on the mound, which I mean, right now that's what we need. No kidding, and just to come in, you know, out of the blue that day, got the news that morning that Holmes um, would be hitting the IL as well as Kyle Crick comes in, does a great job, and gets the win. Uh, but you mentioned it, Brian Reynolds, two times in this series, throwing absolute darts to 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 get some really big outs, getting a couple hits. You know, he struggled at the plate to start the season, but it's been fun to see this kid kind of get back into into the form we saw for most of last season. Yeah, I think, you know, one thing about Brian Reynolds that I see is his approach every day doesn't change. And that's what you see in good players, you know, he might be struggling at the plate right now, but he's still in the outfield making plays. And, you know, he's just the type of guy that those type of plays are going to start to uh, build him up and get his confidence going. And eventually it's going to transition into his bat. I don't think we're going to see him struggling too much longer at the plate. Yeah. Reynolds is a guy I don't really worry about. I mean, Monday night he drew two walks Tuesday night. He had two hits, including a double, that hit and run call by Derek Shelton on Tuesday night 
in the, I think it was either the first or second inning with Reynolds. It was a great call. Forced him to swing the bat there, put the runner in movement and get him going. And it seemed to work out. And I, I think my biggest thing with Reynolds, too, is it's nice to see this year with the defense. I mean, obviously, six games is a very small sample size, but he leads the majors in outfield assist already. His defensive run saved, again, six games, very small sample size. He's already better than last year. So if Reynolds can improve that little bit defensively and still be anywhere near the hitter he was last year, over the course of 162-game season, you're talking about a four- or five-war player. And considering that the Pirates traded McCutcheon away to get Reynolds, you know, if you get a guy who is consistently a four- to five-war player in return, you're going to be happy about that trade. I mean, you know, that's a trade that I think a lot of Pirate fans, myself included, it's always going to hurt you but just because of how much he meant to this franchise. But if the return proves to be Brian Reynolds of last year with slightly better defense, it's impossible to complain about that because Brian Reynolds hitting 310, getting on base almost a 400 clip, hitting 40 doubles and playing average to slightly above average defense in left field, you're talking about one of the best all-around players in the National League Central at that point. Brian Reynolds is a was a pretty underrated rookie last year. I mean, granted, last year's rookie class in the National League was really good, and he finished fourth. And uh, this guy, he, he's kind of a he's kind of a player that's gone on the wayside because, of, like, if you look at it today, it's like all oh, big home runs and there's a lot of strikeouts. And Reynolds doesn't really is doesn't really fit that mold. He drives the gap. He makes really good contact, and uh, that's really going to help the Pirates at the top of the order. Him getting on base and him being able to drive in some runs here and there too. Yeah, Reynolds is a player that like 10, 12 years ago would have been a lot more appreciated than he is now, I feel. I mean, like you said, Noah, last year was a great, like like an all-time great rookie class in the National League. It really was. And then you throw in the fact Reynolds was on a team that only won 69 games, and he's going to get overlooked. But again, like you said, he didn't have the big home run numbers, but he hit, I believe it was 37 doubles, finished the year with over 60 extra base hits. Got on base at almost a 400 clip. Like, any team is going to take that out of a player. And, yeah, it's just I think he really gets overlooked. He's A, he's on the Pirates who are not very good right now. And, B, he is not like Pete Alonzo who's out there mashing 50 home runs a year. So, he does get overlooked, there's no doubt. But that does not take anything away from how great of a hitter Brian Reynolds is. He's just such a good, pure hitter. He uses all fields. He will drive the ball where the pitcher pitches it. So it's just – and, again, not not to keep harping on this because I could, I could go on a 30-minute tangent about how unappreciated Brian Reynolds truly is. But, I mean, you look at last year with Pete Alonzo, for example. I mean, Alonzo struck out almost 30% of the time. Reynolds only struck out 20% of the time, you know. Reynolds got on base at a much better clip than Alonzo. Like, it, there's an argument to be made that in terms of all-around player, Reynolds is just as valuable as Pete Alonzo is. And that even kind of showed in, in their war where Reynolds finished at three and a half, Alonzo was a four and a half, but Alonzo played in 30 more games than Reynolds did. Brian Reynolds, you have a new Valentine this year if you want it. Uh, but no, I'm with you, Marty. I mean, I'm here. I love you, Brian Reynolds. <laughs> How could you not, though? Just so consistent, so confident, always bringing it. 
Uh, and we've seen him, you know, get moved around this lineup at times this year. Everybody has been moved around this lineup. Pretty much a new DH every single night. Are we going to see a consistent lineup at any point? Or is this group just going to kind of keep, you know, revolving until they find something that works? I think this year we're just going to keep seeing players revolve at different places because Shelton, he's still, like Nick was saying earlier with the pitching, well, I mean, it's kind of the same thing with the lineup. He's just kind of find who's good, who isn't, where do people play their best, where do people play worse at. I feel like we're just going to keep seeing different players play at different positions. And a 60-game season like this, you know, why not try some different things out and see what happens? No doubt. And, uh, you know, when when you kind of rotate, guys, I think you – Get the opportunity to see who's comfortable where. Um, I like Philip Evans at the two hole. I thought that was a cool little fit. Thankfully, in game three, he uh, found his way on base with an infield single. The Pirates' only hit of the night. Um, really an interesting game. One that we kind of knew. We, we talked about it on Monday. Joe was going to have to bring it all um, going up against Brandon Woodruff. Woodruff came out and looked magnificent. Like I said, the Pirates only getting one hit. Ben Gamble hitting one close to the river, not in it. Keston Hira doing his thing again. What do you guys think about game three? You know, I mean, it's obviously kind of what we expected, but what are some takeaways? The takeaway for me, Trey, would be that the the lack of talent in the Pittsburgh Pirates lineup, um, you know, I think – out, Jack, outside Jack Flaherty, Brandon Woodruff's been the best pitcher they face. You know, you saw him hit 98 on the radar gun, which is um, harder than what Flaherty's bringing it. So, and our lineup was no match for him, basically. And uh, beyond the top four of the guys, you know, the bottom of the lineup especially just looked completely helpless against them. And so that really opened my eyes, actually, to just see – you know, the, how far away this team actually is from winning, which is not something that people want to hear, but sad truth. See, I'm, I'm, I'm with you to an extent with that. I think part of it last night also was, I mean, you had Eric Gonzalez in the starting lineup, for example, we didn't have Kevin Newman out there. Um, but my, my big takeaway from game three, that series is I, I understand Musgrove has kind of been plagued by the home run ball here early in the season. But in the offseason, I wrote about how this could be the year Musgrove really put all together a starting pitcher. And something I will have on up on the site on Friday is about Musgrove and his slider. And, man, that, that slider of his, it's turning into one heck of a weapon of a pitch. And For I, sure. Yeah. And, right yeah. yeah, his curveball usage is up, which I really like. His fastball usage is down, which, again, I really like because his fastball got him into trouble last year. It's gotten him into trouble so far this year. I, he has not Brandon, Brandon Woodruff fastball, that's for sure. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, exactly. So it's good. He's mixing it. He's more. mixing in that curveball. He's throwing it. I would still like to see him throw the slider more. Um, he threw it about 25% of the time that started against the Cardinals. It was just a hair under 20% of the time against the Brewers. I do think he needs to be looking at throwing the thing about 25% of the time per start. But I do think we are currently watching – and again, it's two starts. He's only gone five and two-thirds innings in both starts. But if you date back to his last eight starts last year, when he started to lean on the slider more, I do think we are starting to watch Joe Musgrove develop into the ace of this starting rotation. And I still think when Jamison Tyone returns next year, he's your best starter. But I think we're watching Musgrove develop into quietly being 
one of the better number two, number three type starting pitchers in the National League. Again, it goes back to being on a team nobody's going to talk about and that sort of thing. But Musgrove's slider has just been so good this year. And again, like I said, I will have more about his slider up on the site on Friday. Please go check it out. I will save it for there. I don't want to. I don't want to give my article away, but it's man, that that slider is good. That slider is so good for Musgrove so far this year. Also, real quick, if I I could just say, Marty, I know you know not all the starters were in the lineup, but still, I'm just saying that just shows the overall lack of talent and in the organization as a whole. Oh, no, I, I totally agree. Because, I mean, if you look at the Pirate lineup and you kind of take it across, you know, okay, who who in this team is capable of starting for a true contender? Obviously, Brian Reynolds, obviously Josh Bell. I mean, after you get past the first quarter or five, it's like – Even then, it's like how many contending teams does Kevin Newman even start on as opposed to being their utility guy, you know? Colin Moran's probably right. bench bad for a lot of teams. Gregory Polanco, with his struggles defensively, might struggle to get a lineup for a lot of true contending teams. You know, and then honestly, That's what I mean, I just don't know how many really future pieces yeah. are in this lineup. I agree, and I think outside of Bell Reynolds, maybe your best option is Jacob Stallings, and Stallings is not going to be on the field because of his bat. You know what I mean? Right. Stallings is a guy who's going to be back there because he's a phenomenal pitch blocker. He's one of the best best framers in all of baseball. He has a ridiculous guys out. time. Yeah. Like Stallings is back there because he is one of the top three to five defensive catcher in baseball. So that's not going to do anything for your lineup. I mean, it's this is a guy I know we'll get into, and he's I've written about him. Noah will have an article about him on Friday on the site. Like Philip Evans might be your third best hitter right now, which you know that's nothing against him. I'm glad he's getting. I, I love Evans. But I'm, I'm driving not, the Philip Evans hype train right now with no riding shotgun. But when <laughs> it's not where we hitter, need to be right now. Yeah, exactly. A guy who's been in the minor leagues the last three, four years, or whatever it's been. That that's not where, like you said, Nick. That's not where you need to be if you're looking to win baseball games. And and. Good. I, I was just gonna say, and once again, I know I keep preaching this. It's this is all part of the process. I mean, this Neil Huntington left a pretty bare cabinet for Ben Charrington and and Derek Shelton, and they're doing what they can with what they got. They're yeah. not gonna spend right now. Yeah. So don't expect it's not time to spend. No, it's yeah. not now's the time for them to evaluate what they have. What they what they consider part you know of the future and what they consider to be part of the now and you know might be shipped out oh, of there. Now, right, in, but with the Charrington thing, just to debunk something that was popular in Pirates Twitter this week, please in no way, shape, or form think what Huntington left behind as an organization as a whole is worse than what Dave Littlefield left behind for Neil Huntington. Like the Pirates still have a top – by fan graphs, have a top five farm system. A lot of that was due to what Charrington inherited. And I think a lot of that just – and again, this is a topic for another day, but I think a lot of people forget just how horrific 
this organization was from top to bottom in 2007. When Huntington took the organization over, the, the farm system was rated in the bottom five. Yeah. When Huntington, when Huntington exited really, the yeah. farm system, he was it was rated in the middle of the pack around yeah. like 15 to 17. Correct. So they, it was right. Yeah, I think Fangraphs last year at the end of the season ranked him about 10. So it's not right. awful, but it's not fantastic for the kind of team of, of a rebuilding year you'd want to be at. But Right, but they're getting their Charrington's RA added a lot of talent in the system. Oh, yeah. RA, like Marty said, it's getting ranked close to the top five. So just, you know, as fans, we need to stay patient and let these guys kind of figure out, you know, their their plan for this team. It's not going to be fixed overnight. And as we've talked about before on here, Charrington is a guy who won a World Series in Boston. He built another World Series team. He helped rebuild the farm system in Toronto. He knows what he's doing. He's going to bring in talent. He's he's terrific at evaluating talent. Yeah, just, you got to exactly give him a be patient. Be patient. Yes, this team is two to three years away from contending for the postseason. Just just be patient. That is another thing. This seems a lot closer to contending now than they were in 2008. Yes. When Huntington in Huntington's first full season. That, when Huntington sure. came here, what? That was he was hired in November of 2007, and they didn't make the postseason until 2013. I, I'm I would confidently say that Ben Charrington will make the postseason as Pirates general manager in less years than it took Huntington to do it. And now part of that is because of my faith in Charrington. Part of that is because of what he has inherited. But I am confident it's not going to take him five or six years to completely rebuild a just utter shit show like it took Huntington to do. Right. And it's easy to get caught up, you know, in six games, you know, to, to think. Take it to the house. Put them down. Pirates, playoffs. <laughs> um, but, you know, it, it will take time. And, and, just aside from the lineup, Nick, you're talking about how, you know, how untalented this lineup is at times and the deficit compared to other teams. But just look at this bullpen, too. I mean, now that Holmes, Crick, IL, oh, yeah. who oh, do yeah. you even have coming out of it aside from Nick Birdie? I mean, it, it, this is really a tough state of baseball in Pittsburgh. The fact that they've looked the way they have. The Pirates bullpen from a year ago to now looks a whole, exactly. whole lot different that's for sure <laughs> yeah i mean <laughs> yeah, this bullpen it's like I, mean, I said this on twitter during the game last night and i think this is just reflecting where the bullpen's at they're either awesome or it's a just freaking disaster and i mean when you have two or three good guys in your pen that's what you're going to get like nick birdie's terrific i am still high on chris stratton He's got some great spin rate on his pitches. I like what we had seen out of Clay Holmes, but who knows when we see him next. I like JT Brubaker. But after that, I mean, who down there are you going to trust with the lead? It's, it's going to be ugly. And, yeah, it's, it's going to be ugly this year at the bullpen. Hopefully they get Cedar line up here quickly. Yeah, I mean, honestly, at this point, Playing for the future, I'd like to see him. I wouldn't hate seeing Nick Mears. Mears yep, I, understand, I understand Mears still has a way to go with his, with his control, but I would Fred rather see Nick Mears having his control. <laughs> yeah, I'd rather – yeah, exactly. I, 
I don't know. I'd rather see Mears up here battling the control than watching Rich Rod give up bombs, watching Robbie Erlin out there just throwing meatballs to get crushed. Like, let's see. And then Del Pozo walking in like three yeah, runs. He faces four guys, walks three, and gives up a double to the other. Like, I, I want to see Birdie. I want to see Brubaker. I want to see Cedarlin. I want to see Nick Mears. I want to see Jeff Hartlieb. I want to see these guys who could potentially be a part of this bullpen moving forward. I don't want to see Robbie Erlin. I don't want to see Rich Rod. I most certainly do not want to see Doivitus Navaraskis. <laughs> Give me somebody else, man. Cody Ponce, too, even. Yeah, he's another one. I I, I kind of like forgot about him, and I thought about him yeah, earlier. You know, I, I mean, why? Yeah, why not? He actually looked decent in the spring. I thought uh, for you know what he the opportunity he was given. Certainly, certainly, and uh, you know, we're looking at a team this year that once you get to a certain loss total, you kind of have that opportunity to experiment a little bit and get these guys major league reps. Um, you know, when it counts, because this is this is essentially a season that you know could become lost pretty fast and in such a weird year i think this is kind of your your trial run season brand new manager brand new general manager you know one may even uh speculate a, a tank for kumar rocker I, I don't know if you guys have heard those uh those rumors listen whenever the bullpen blew a lead the other night I may or may not have tweeted out to simply picture Kumar Rocker and called it a day at that point. So. <laughs> we, uh, we won't speculate, but um, y- you never know. And it's just going to be fun to kind of see how this team grows and comes together because it's so much more, I guess, exciting to see the players trust in each other. And we saw it on Tuesday night. This team's willing to rally. This team's willing to come together and, and overcome some adversity this year. They head to Chicago this weekend to take on the first-place Cubs. They will not have to face Kyle Hendricks. We will see Trevor on Friday, Mitch the Kid coming in on Saturday. Just a game and a half out of first place if the Cubs lose tonight. What are you guys uh, What are you guys excited for this weekend in Chicago? I'm excited to watch Mitch Keller pitch again. I'm, I, he, he was struggling a little bit with control during that first game, but I'm somebody who's really, really high on Mitch Keller. I think he could be a really good pitcher if he could just you know, a few more swings and misses and his control a little bit. It was a little shaky, but if he gets a little better with that, I think he could be an excellent pitcher. I think the control will come around. You know, first start out on the yeah. year, I'm sure. You know, he's a guy that obviously there he shows a little nerves on the mound. So the the big thing is he got off on a good start for the year. So hopefully he can build on that, like you said, and just uh, take the next step and find his zone. The one thing I want to see from him, I'd like to see the velocity tick up a little bit. Uh, you know, I'm hoping that maybe it's just part of the Pirates' plan with him being young and just being protective of his arm early on, just having him hold back a little bit. And But um, we'll see what happens. How fun was it, though, to just finally see him feel confident, um, you know, this past weekend in, in St. Louis and, and pitch like the Mitch Keller we've been waiting on? With Mitch Keller, you know, I'm excited, too. I thought last weekend against St. Louis um, – he clearly did not have his best stuff, and he battled. I mean, he had three, one, two, three innings out of five. He retired, I think, the last, like, eight or nine guys he faced. And that's the sign of a good starting pitcher, someone who on a day they don't have their best stuff is still going to come out and go five innings and only give up a run. And I think what you project forward for Mitch Keller is that potential top of the lineup type of guy or top of the rotation type of guy, excuse me, 
and top of rotation type of guys are the guys who on days they don't have their best stuff, on days they're struggling, still come out and go five and only give up run, give up one run. So I'm excited to see what he does, especially against the Cubs lineup that it's not as strong as it was a year or two ago. We still have Javi Baez, still have Chris Bryant, still have Anthony Rizzo. There's still a lot of guys there who can hit the ball well. So it'll be fun to watch with Keller this weekend to see what he can do. And even on Sunday, I'm excited to see the piggyback again with how well it worked against the, with the Brewers. I'm really excited to watch Chad Cole pitch again. I'm a firm believer. Yeah, I'm, I'm a big Chad Cole believer. Like, at this point, I would be on board with ditching the piggyback and just having Cole start with Broad in the bullpen. I realize they're probably not going to do that, at least for a few starts. But I'm a big Cole believer. I'm very excited to watch Chad Cole pitch on Sunday as well. And if I could say more on Keller, um, Marty, you kind of hit it with him not having his best stuff, but still doing well, and that being a picture of a, you know, an up and coming top of rotation type arm. And for me, like last year, there was games where I just didn't get it. Like he was throwing ninety seven, and they were just turning it around, and. You know, even when it looked like he had elite stuff last year, he was getting hit around. So that's just, to me, another positive was to see him still, even when he didn't have that high 90s fastball, still, like you said, battle and get through the, the game. And you're saying with his like elite stuff. I mean, the dude had a 475 batting average on balls in play. And that's that's really, really right. unlucky. Right. Exactly. I mean... There was definitely a lot of peripherals. Literally the highest, the highest batting average in balls to play in Major League history. Just insane. But like you guys said, elite stuff, you know, is, is Mitch Keller. And it's not just an elite fastball. He has the elite off-speed stuff, too. Saw a little bit of a drop in velocity even on Sunday. but um, Yeah, he's he, down 92 miles per hour this year. Last year, he sat at 95.4. So now one thing I did notice, our velocity ticked up a little bit at home at PNC Park, um, you know, so it could be a little bit to do with, uh, you know, the systems that each park has. But Yeah, yeah, for sure. And, and you know, there's there's got to be several things going, um, you know, with the way that, that everything is being handled. Some numbers are going to be off um, from time to time, but just looking at the way that, that he carries himself this year, I think is a prime um, example of, of the Mitch Keller we're going to see all season, hopefully at least, uh, but great to see it for at least start number one. Before we close out tonight's episode, we got to give a very special birthday shout out to Derek Shelton, who turns 50 today. First year manager already has two wins under the belt. Let's keep it going. Happy birthday, Derek Shelton. That is all the time we have for tonight's episode. Noah, thank you for coming on with us again. You're always welcome. It has been a pleasure. We'll be back with you at the beginning of the week to recap Chicago, talk about the state of baseball and uh, where the Pirates look after the weekend. For Marty Leap and Nick Caparoso, my name is Trey Anity. Thank you for joining us again. As always, you can find us on fansided.com slash rumbunter, Apple Music, social media, and Spreaker.com. Until next time, thank you for joining us. Let's go, bro.